Welcome to the Good Money Habits podcast, where we marry financial literacy with tips from the experts on how to develop good money habits. Knowing what your options are when it comes to your finances is one thing, how to change your habits and translate the knowledge into action and results is quite another. If this is a new focus for you, we suggest you start with the Foundation Series episodes. Throughout this podcast series, we will meet and interview experts from across the finance field, where they will share their insights and tips for success. We are all about helping people gain financial stability to live a better life. This podcast is brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. It is important to understand that today's episode is of a general nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs, and may not be appropriate for you. Hi everyone, Julia Shortinghouse here and thanks for listening to Good Money Habits today where we'll be looking to navigate the aged care maze. Today I'm delighted to have Brenda Wills from DLP Life Design in the studio. Brenda's a financial planner who specialises in aged care. Brenda, welcome to Good Money Habits. Thanks for having me, Julia. So Brenda, we know that aged care has been in the media for all the wrong reasons lately, with a recent Royal Commission into the sector, together with evidence that many of our aged care facilities are really not faring well in the coronavirus battle. But rather than spending time trying to tackle, I guess, issues and elements that are outside of our control, I want to spend time today talking about options that people have and tips on how to navigate what is both a complex and for many an emotionally fraught issue. Now, you and I recently caught up to collaborate and provide some guidance for one of my clients who's starting to think about what options for aged care support they can access now, as well as down the track to ensure suitable care for his wife and crucially support for himself as well as the primary carer. Now, listening to you step through the options with him that day, your explanation of the financial requirements and tips to navigate this maze really did set the stage for today's podcast and it was obvious to me that the general information you shared could be really helpful for many people who are currently or soon to be embarking on this journey for a loved one. Now, having known you for a very long time, um, Brenda, your passion for this space is unquestioned and I feel like you could talk about aged care underwater. So can I kick off by asking you what led you to specialise in this space? Thanks very much, Julia. Um, I, I do love dealing in aged care and that is because of my own personal experience originally. I grew up in, a, in an Asian family with a grandmother who lived with us at home for most of my childhood and I grew quite affectionate for, for elderly people and to hear what they'd done in their lives and what they'd been through. You know, my granny was born in, in 1908 and she lived in Singapore through World War Two and the Japanese occupation and she always had such amazing inspiring stories and it always instilled in me how important the elderly are in our lives and how how much respect I have for them. So of course in my own experience I, I actually had to go through the age, experience, age care experience with my grandmother and she did eventually have to go into age care because she wasn't managing at home even living with a family you know. Um, we would go off to, to work or to school or to uni during the day and things would happen where she might leave a tap on running, she left the stove on sometimes or she might fall over and not be able to get herself back up until someone got home. So it was pretty awful and pretty traumatic for my parents at the time. But uh, they were able to find her an excellent aged care facility where we used to visit her very regularly. And I just got the most respect for aged care facilities and aged care workers through seeing how they dealt with my grandmother. You know, she wasn't at the best stage in her life. 
She had dementia, but they just went above and beyond to do everything they possibly could to keep her comfortable and happy. And um, it was it was amazing and inspiring for me to see. So it became quite um, distressing for me to see a lot of my clients go through that sort of experience, being a, a financial planner with retirees originally, and uh, to see them have bad experiences. So I guess that's what led me on this path to start talking more about aged care the fact that we don't like talking about it, but it's a, a really important area for us to be prepared for if we're going to get the best outcome for our loved ones. Yeah, without a doubt. And um, thank you for sharing that personal story. I can hear the emotion and, and looking at you, I can see the emotion. And, and I do really appreciate it because it always does strike me um, in our profession that where people do specialise, there's usually something, there's a trigger or there's something that's happened that's really led to that passion to, to do what you do. And having seen your work firsthand, you do an amazing job. Okay. Um, so let's turn then to the process um, itself and some of the options. So if someone is demonstrating early signs of requiring support, what would be the first steps or the general starting point for people? I think the th- most important thing about aged care is to be prepared. Um, usually in the early steps, people feel um, awkward about it, uncomfortable to talk about it. They may not want to reveal the fact that they're struggling to live independently. So it's really important to sort of be able to have open discussions with family and to not be, um, you know, uh, judge and jury over over what needs to happen, but to be able to normalise discussions around the whole process of getting older. It's all going. It's going to happen to all of us one day, and one day we're all going to be at a stage where we can't do all the things that we couldn't do before. And that's not necessarily the end of the world. It just is another stage to adapt to. And there's plenty of things you can do to be prepared for aged care as long as you start talking about it early and getting prepared. And I think that's the key, isn't it? It's um, thinking about it early as, as hard as it is to um, face into what can be a really, really difficult area for people. So on a practical level, um, things like the Commonwealth Home Support Program, can you talk us through that? So Commonwealth Home Support Program was previously called Hack Services Home and Community Care. So a lot of people use that as sort of an entry point into the aged care system where people are still living independently in their own homes but may just need a little bit of help around the house. Maybe you're not that good at uh, bending over and vacuuming and mopping the floors anymore or need someone to help with the garden. So this is the point where you can call up and you can get an assessment and potentially get someone to come into your home once a week or once a fortnight to help with these sorts of jobs. So I believe the contact for that would be My Aged Care, which is one eight hundred two hundred four double two. Um, is the process um, different for people in regional areas? So it, it is a, the same system that you go through, but of course um, it's a matter of finding the services that will do the things that you want when you are potentially living remotely. So again, it's just a question of being on the ball and being prepared and being prepared to do a bit of research when the time comes to get the right home care providers to come into your home. So beyond that then, what would the next level of care up be? Is that the Commonwealth Home Care Packages? Absolutely. So for a lot of people, Commonwealth Home Support Program or the HAC services may not be enough. They may get to a stage where they need more funding, more government funding to help them remain at home independently and they might need more care at home. So this is where you need to apply for a Commonwealth Home Care Package. So home care packages are are fantastic things and they've been in the media quite a bit because it's a considerable amount of funding that the federal government put towards helping people stay at home, which is great. But there is quite a process involved in getting a home care package. You need to get assessed by an ACAT team, aged care assessment 
uh, team member uh, to be eligible and then you have to go into a national queue uh, to wait for a home care package, essentially a package of funding to be allocated to you. Now, most people are familiar with with waiting for things, but you could be waiting six months, 12 months, in some cases more than two years to get a Commonwealth home care package. So it's a very long time, particularly if you left it to the last moment to apply. So you mentioned they're an ACAT assessment. So how long does that take and how do people arrange one? So the best way to arrange an ACAT assessment is to ask your GP. I mean, you can contact them directly, but generally a referral from the GP is the, the best place to start. They can be very busy, but if it's an urgent uh, referral, then they'll come to you sooner. If it's not urgent, it might be a couple of weeks, it might be a month. In some cases, when they're very busy, it can be a couple of months before they can come out, see you and assess you to get you in the queue to start with. So another good example of getting onto it early is going to be really important. I understand there's four levels. Without going into a lot of detail, what roughly are the differences between the levels? So level one is the lowest level of care, it's the lowest level home care package, through to level four being the highest level home care package. So obviously level four comes with the most funding, so you get over $50,000 per annum funding from the government with a level four package, whereas level one is much lower. So how much funding you get uh, just depends upon the assessment of your needs. So if you have very high needs, very high care needs, then you'll likely be eligible for level four. But again, you've got to apply and you've got to sit in the waiting queue and uh, wait for one to be allocated. So while you're waiting, can people access the home support package perhaps for help around the house in the meantime? Absolutely. You can still use HAC services or Commonwealth Home Support Program in the meantime. Uh, And in in some cases, you may be able to get a lower level Commonwealth Home Care package as well. So if you're eligible for a level four, they might offer you a level one or a level two in the interim whilst you're waiting for a level four. And this is something that's really important for people to plan for as well, because, you know, if you're waiting 12 months, 18 months for the right package for you, you really need to think about how you're going to manage during that time. And I guess something that will be on people's minds is what are the costs um, and how are the home care packages assessed? Is it the normal Centrelink test? So home care packages have a daily fee, which is about $10 a day. And they also have an income tested fee. So the income tested fee is not paid by full age pensioners. It's only paid by part-age pensioners and self-funded retirees. So there's caps on all of these fees. Um, So um, you can only pay a certain amount. And generally speaking, they're excellent value for money. Okay, great. And for those that perhaps don't want to go through the Commonwealth Home Care Packages option, the other alternative I understand is private care. How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that more and more people are turning to, even if they do have a home care package, but the home care package doesn't provide enough funding for what they're after. For example, if you need supervision 12 hours a day or 24 hours a day, a home care package, unfortunately, doesn't usually provide enough funding for that and you need to top up with your own money. Or alternately, if you don't have a package at all, then you can pay privately for all of the services provided to you. So then you're going to a home care provider and you're working out what services you need and what their hourly rate is for those services and you're paying them directly, which can turn out to be quite expensive. Obviously, to pay for a carer, it might be $60, $80, $100 an hour. So that can add up quite a bit. Okay, but some really good tips there. So thank you. Um, Let's turn to the carer uh, role for a moment. So what are some of the things that people should be weighing up when considering taking on the role of the carer versus perhaps moving someone into care? And I imagine that for some, the potential emotional trauma of leaving the family home is a factor that needs to be carefully balanced and considered. 
as well as weighing up the pressure and the exhaustion that can no doubt be placed on the carer as well? Absolutely. That is a, a really important question for everyone to be asking. When someone has failing health and they need care, there are a lot of emotions going around for not only them, but for their loved ones. And part of that is, is a feeling of guilt. Uh, if people feel that they can't cope and they need to put a loved one into care, um, and a lot of that is a feeling of grief, of, of losing uh, a loved one potentially um, because they're, they're not necessarily that same person that they've, they've known their whole life. Um, so being taking on that role of carer is a huge decision to make. Uh, a lot of people step up to that role and uh, that's a, a wonderful and very courageous thing to do. But I guess the key thing if you are going to be a carer is to make sure that you look after yourself um, a lot of carers will be working 24-7, uh, supervising, looking after someone else and have very little time left to look after themselves. So the key thing with carers is if you don't look after yourself, then you can't look after anybody else very well either. So it's really important for carers to take time to themselves and that might mean having other family members potentially step in here or there to, to take over caring roles, to allow that main carer time to do some of their own things, have some time off. Uh, it also means doing things like um, seeing if there's daycare available. Um, carers that do caring well, and I've had a number of clients who have done this well, um, they set up regular daycare. So maybe two days a week, uh, that loved one gets picked up, taken down to the local daycare centre, and that gives that carer that day, not necessarily to put their feet up, but to do the shopping, clean the house, and yeah. do all these things that you have to do when you don't have time when you're looking after somebody else. The other important thing is to consider respite care. So, you know, being able to put that loved one into aged care on a temporary basis, maybe a week at a time or two weeks at a time, to actually have a proper break so that you can start again and be refreshed and, and continue on in that caring role. If you set up that caring role properly with the right support, in some cases people can do this for many years, but if it's not done right, then carers can get burnt out very easily. Yeah, I imagine so. And um, the analogy that comes to mind is putting your own oxygen mask on first. Absolutely. Um, I think that that stands out for me. So interesting, The uh, I'm thinking about the respite care. So would that also be, I guess, a way to um, test out whether or not a particular facility is good if you're potentially thinking about the next step as well? Absolutely. It's a great way for that person to see how they cope in care, but also to see if they like the facility exactly as, as you've said, Julia. So um, there's, there's many benefits to considering respite care and it is government subsidised as long as you've got that ACAT assessment to say that you're eligible. It's 52.25 a day. You do need to book ahead. So often facilities will get booked up with respite so you can't necessarily get it at the last minute. But again, if you're organised about it, you can book a week's respite care once a quarter give yourself that break. Um, you actually get um, uh, 61 days per financial year with the extension of another 23. So you can have up to 84 days per financial year where the government will subsidise respite care for carers. And given the waiting list we've spoken about, is, are there also big waiting lists for that as well? Or is that a bit easier to access? So it can be more easily accessed in that you just need to find a facility that has availability there. So with uh, residential and respite care, the wait list is with each individual facility rather than with the government. So then part of the process when you do get an ACAT assessment that says you're eligible for these things is to actually spend time going out and looking at potential facilities. 
and then putting your name down, whether that's for respite care or permanent residential care, so that you can get bookings in, in advance in facilities that you think would be suitable. So you've just touched on long-term residential care there. So it's well understood that that can be expensive um, and there is a bit of a sea of jargon and complexity that we probably need to work through. So let's begin perhaps with how it's assessed. Can you talk us through that? So residential care is a massive financial decision for most people. So it's really important to be thinking about this, to get knowledge and information about this and advice about this in advance because if you leave it to the last minute and you're sitting in the hospital car park and you've been told you need to find a place for mum ASAP, um, it it is a massively complicated system to get your head around. So in, in broad terms, the costs of residential care come down to four main fees. The first main fees that, that, that most people are concerned about is the accommodation cost or what we now call a RAD, refundable accommodation deposit. So this is the lump sum cost of entry to go into residential care and it's a large amount which is why most people are quite frightened by it. You know, if you look in um, the, the Perth area, for example, if you want a, a single room with an ensuite, you, you're easily looking at $550,000 Goodness for um, a, a, a RAD to enter into an aged care facility and they can get much more than that. If you're in a, a more expensive area or in a newer facility or you have a nice room with a view, um, there's places that have RADs of well over a million dollars. There's places that have RADs smaller than that as well, but they may be um, further out from the city, they may be older style facilities or they may be shared rooms. So again, it's really important to be able to shop around and see what sort of place might be suitable uh, and what sort of RAD you're prepared to pay. So given some of those numbers are simply going to be unaffordable for a lot of people, what are the options? Is it only a lump sum or are there other ways to tackle it? So for people who don't want to or aren't able to pay the lump sum RAD, there is the option to pay a daily equivalent instead called a daily accommodation payment or a DAP. So the DAP is calculated at a government set interest rate, which is currently 4.1% charged on the unpaid RAD. So if you have an unpaid RAD of $550,000 and you don't pay it, then you'll be charged 4.1% of that RAD, divided by 365 days in the year for every day that you're in care. Now, I know you've helped many, many clients over the years in this space, and I'm curious to what degree can financial planning strategies assist in improving eligibility and reducing cost? And are there any situations in particular that I guess stand out for you that highlight how you can smooth the journey with good financial planning. Absolutely, Julia. There's so much that can be done if you're prepared and if you have some good advice beforehand. Um, A lot of the fees with aged care, they're they're calculated in different ways. So there's fees like the RAD that are set by the facility and there's fees like the basic daily fee that are set by the government and there's other fees like the means-tested care fee which is means tested. So it will vary depending on your assessable assets and your assessable income. So as we're aware as financial advisors, um, there's certain things you can do to to, to set up your assets and your income to take full advantage of that and to try to not only improve things like age pension eligibility, but also to potentially try to reduce those ongoing fees that you pay. So there are certain assets that are allowable exempt assets, just like how your home is an exempt asset with Centrelink. Similarly, the RAD payment, if you paid that $550,000, that is also an exempt 
assets with Centrelink um, and there's other assets and income streams as well that have discounted assessments. So you can find out more about that by getting financial advice before that time comes. And the other thing I guess that I find with financial advice, we always like talking about uh, all these strategies we can do and as financial advisor we're always studying all these really cool strategies. A lot of times it's the really simple things that make a big difference. Um, The one thing that people always ask me about is, can you help me with my Centrelink paperwork? (laughs) (laughs) After all my years of study, people want me to help them fill out a form, but it's actually quite a complicated form. And the the smallest things can make the biggest difference. I had one client in particular who'd filled in this form and submitted it for his dad before he'd come to see me. And I was looking at his fees thinking, that don't look quite right, Um, called up the department And he just made a simple mistake of putting his father's account-based pension down as an investment instead of account-based pension. It ended up making a massive difference. And just by fixing up that one little administrative error, we saved him more than $20,000 a year, which I'd like to take lots of credit for, but it it was really just the smallest of things, an admin error that just made all all the difference for him. And the paperwork certainly is a maze and there are um, traps that need to be avoided uh, without a doubt. And that's where, you know, financial planners can step in and assist with doing the um, Centrelink or Services Australia means tested paperwork that kicks in there. Um, so we've essentially talked through, I'm conscious of time, um, but I don't want to cut it off because I feel like people that are listening um, to this will want to capture as much as they can. So we've talked about three layers essentially. So home care, respite, residential care if you're eligible. I've heard you say on numerous occasions and that the worst outcomes are the last minute pressured decisions. So given this is clearly a really delicate area to be navigating and given the emotional and psychological issues at play, any tips that you'd like to, I guess, share um, on for families to get them to start to open up these difficult conversations? I think first and foremost, spending time with your ageing parents is really important. I know we're all super busy in our lives, but to keep in touch with family members understanding that life will change for them as they get older is really important. Having discussions uh, with them about how they're coping and also remembering that um, people usually have a very negative view of aged care. So it's really important to try to to open up those discussions and normalise discussions because everybody goes through it. It's also really really important for us as a, as a community, I guess, to realise that aged care isn't all bad as well. A lot of people are very fearful of talking about these things because they feel that going to aged care is some kind of fate worse than death. Uh, there have yeah. been some really horrible stories out there, but I work with people going into aged care every day and there's amazing stories as well. So... There, there's there's so many situations where people are so fearful of going into aged care. You know, I, I had a client who lived alone and she refused to go into aged care. She couldn't see, she couldn't read, she was too afraid to put on the telly. She was calling her daughter all the time because she was anxious. We finally, finally got her into aged care in the right place and they found that she loved singing and hadn't <laughs> sung since she was a girl. They put her into the choir she became their star singer and her daughter, who used to get called by her every day, said to me, I go to visit my mum now and I can't even find her in a room. She's out doing choir practice or, or hanging out with her new friends. So you can see what a difference it can make, not only to have proper nutrition, proper medication, proper care, but also social interaction for people in these circumstances. 
it isn't necessarily a fate worse than death. That is so wonderful to hear and uh, quite frankly reassuring as well. Um, any other resources you direct people to? There is a lot of information that you can get out there. So the My Aged Care website is a very good directory and you can get a certain amount of in- information from Centrelink and also from aged care facilities and aged care providers. But I guess I would say that if you want to get your grip on the overall financial impact, speaking to an aged care financial advisor is really important as well because each person in each area can only give you their little piece of the puzzle. So to have someone who can look at your own personal situation and work out what's going to be best for you and to represent your interests, I guess, in what is a confusing situation is really important. And that's precisely what um, I did with my client. And I have to say, working with you as a specialist was fantastic. And the reassurance it gave him and his family um, was enormous and shouldn't be underestimated. I feel like we've covered quite a lot of ground here today, Brenda. Um, Can I just um, sincerely thank you um, for your time and your wisdom and sharing as openly what you have today? Any final tips, words of wisdom before we sign off? I think it's like anything to be prepared. We plan for everything in our lives. We plan for uh, holidays. How long do you spend planning for a holiday? Very true. (laughs) How many of us actually plan for getting old? And it's something that's going to happen to all of us. So please, uh, anyone listening out there, just make sure that you open up those conversations and plan ahead where you can. Thanks so much, Brenda. I'm really grateful for your time. Thanks, Julia. That was another episode of Good Money Habits brought to you by Lighthouse Capital. A reminder that this episode was general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal objectives, financial situation or needs and therefore may not be appropriate for you. It is recommended that you seek professional advice before making any significant financial decisions. If you want to find out more, this podcast series is available on Apple Podcasts or head to www.lighthousecapital.com.au.